Chapter Two of Star Hunter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leone Rose. Star Hunter by Andre Norton. Chapter Two. The Starfall was a long way downscale from the pleasure-houses of the upper town. Here strange vices were also merchandise, but not such exotics as Wasp provided. This was strictly for crewmen of the star freighters who could be speedily and expertly separated from a voyager's pay in an evening. The tantalizing scents of Wasp terraces were reduced here to simply smells the majority of which were not fragrant. There had already been two fatal duels that evening. A tube-man from a rim-ship had challenged a space-miner to settle a difference with those vicious whips made from the tail-casings of flangoid flying lizards, an encounter which left both men in ribbons, one dead, one dying, and a scarred, Ex-Space Marine had blaster-flamed one of the Star and Comet dealers into charred human ash. The young man, who had been ordered to help clear away the second loser, retired to the stinking alley outside to lose the meal which was part of his meager day's pay. Now he crawled back inside, his face greenish, one hand pressed to his middle section. He was thin, the fine bones of his face tight under the pallid skin, his ribs showing even through the sleazy fabric of the threadbare tunic with its house seal. When he leaned his head back against the grime-encrusted wall, raising his face to the light, his hair had the glint of bright chestnut, a gold which was also red. And for his swamper's labor he was almost fastidiously clean. You, Lansar! He shivered as if an icy wind had found him, and opened his eyes. They seemed disproportionately large in his skin and bone face, and were of an odd shade, neither green nor blue, but somewhere between. "'Get going, you! Ain't paying out good credits for you to sit there like you was buying on your own!' The Salarkian who loomed above him spoke accentless, idiomatic, basic space, which came strangely from between his yellow lips. A furred hand thrust the handle of a mop-up stick at the young man. A taloned thumb jerked the direction in which to use that evil-smelling object. Phylansor levered himself up the wall, took the mop, setting his teeth grimly. Someone had spilled a mug of cardo, and the deep purple liquid was already patterning the con-stone floor, past any hope of cleaning but he set to work slapping the fringe of the noisome mop back and forth to sop up what he could. The smell of the cardo, uniting with the general effluvia of the room and its inhabitants, heightened his queasiness. Working blindly in a half-stupor, he was not aware of the man sitting alone in the booth until his mop spattered the ankle of one of the drinking girls. She struck him sharply across the face with a sputtering curse in the tongue of Altar Ishtar. The blow sent him back against the open lattice of the booth. As he tried to steady himself, another hand reached up, fingers tightened about his wrist. He flinched, tried to jerk away from that hold, only to discover that he was the other's prisoner.
and looking down at his captor in apprehension, he was aware even then of the different quality of this man. The patron wore the tunic of a crewman, lighter patches where the ship's badges should have been to show that he was not engaged. But though his tunic was shabby, dirty, his magnetic boots scuffed and badly worn, he was not like the others now enjoying the pleasures of the starfall. This one, he makes trouble? The vast bulk of the Vorm man, who was the starfall's private law, moved through the crowd with serene confidence in his own strength, which no one there, unless blind, deaf, and out of the senses drunk, could dispute. His scaled, six-fingered, claw-hand reached out for Lansor, and the boy cringed. No trouble. There was a click of authority in the voice of the man in the booth. His face, moments earlier taut and sharp with intelligence, was suddenly slack. His tone slurred as he answered, "'Looks like an old shipmate. No trouble. Just want a drink with an old shipmate.' But the grip which had pulled Vi forward, swung him around and down on the other bench in the booth, was anything but slack. The form man glanced from the patron of the Starfall to its least important employee, and then grinned, thrusting his fanged jaws close to Lansor's. "'If the master wants to drink, you dirt rat, you drink!' Vi nodded vigorously, and then put his hand to his mouth, afraid his stomach was about to betray him again. Apprehensive, he watched the warm man turn away. Only when that broad, green-gray back was lost in the smoky far reaches of the room did he expel his breath again. Here. The grip was gone from his wrist, but fingers now put a mug into his hand. Drink. He tried to protest, knew it was hopeless and used both hands to get the mug to his lips, mouthing the stinging liquid in dull despair. Only, instead of bringing nausea with it, the stuff settled his stomach, cleared his head, with an afterglow with which he managed to relax from the tense state of endurance which filled his hours in the starfall. Half of the mug's contents inside him, and he dared to raise his eyes to the man opposite him. Yes, this was no common crewman, nor was he drunk as he had pretended for the Vorma man. Now he watched the milling crowd with a kind of detachment, though Vi was sure he was aware of every move he himself made. Vi finished the liquid. For the first time since he had come into this place two months earlier, he felt like a real person again. And he had wits enough to guess that the potion he had just swallowed contained some drug. Only now he did not care at all. Anything which could wipe out in moments all the shame, fear, and sick despair the starfall had planted in him, was worth swallowing. Why the other had drugged him was a mystery, but he was content to wait for enlightenment. Lansor's companion once more applied that compelling pressure to the younger man's bony forearm. Linked by that hold, they left the starfall, came into the cooler, far more pleasant atmosphere of the street. They were a block away before Vi's guide halted, though he did not release his prisoner. Forty names of Dugor, he spat. Lansor waited, breathing in the air of early morning. The confidence of the drug still held. At the moment he was certain nothing could be as bad as the life behind him. He was willing to face what this strange patron of the Starfall had in mind. The other slapped his hand down on an air-car call-button, stood waiting until one of the city flitters landed on beam before them. From the seat of the air-car, Vi noted they were heading into the respectability of the upper city away from the stews ringing the launch port. 
he tried to guess their destination or purpose, not that either mattered much. Then the car descended on a landing stage. The stranger waved Lancer through a doorway, down a short corridor, into a room of private quarters. Vi sat down gingerly on the foam seat, extending from the wall as he neared. He stared about. Dimly he could just remember rooms which had this degree of comfort, but so dimly now he could not be sure they did not exist only in his vivid imagination. For Vi's imagination had buoyed him, first through the drab existence in a state child's creche, then through a state-found job which he had lost because he could not adapt to the mechanical life of a computer tender, and had been an anchor and an escape when he had sunk through the depths of the port to the last refuge in the starfall. Now he pressed both his hands into the soft stuff of the seat and gaped at a small tri-D on the wall facing him, a miniature scene of life on some other planet wherein a creature, enveloped in short black-and-white striped fur, crept belly-flat to stalk long-legged, short-winged birds, making blood-red splotches against yellow reed banks under a pale violet sky. He feasted on its color, on the sense of freedom and off-world wonders which it raised in him. Who are you? The stranger's abrupt question brought him back, not only to the room, but to his own precarious position. He moistened his lips, no longer quite so aglow with confidence. Vi, Vi Lancer. Then he added his other identification. S.C.C. 425061. State child, eh? The other had pushed a button for a refresher cup, then was sipping its contents slowly. He did not ring for a second to offer Vi. Parents? Lancer shook his head. I was brought in after the five-hour fever epidemic. They didn't try to keep records. There were too many of us. The man was watching him levelly over the rim of that cup. There was something cold in that study, something which curbed Vi's pleasant feeling of only moments earlier. Now the other set down his drink, crossed the room, cupping his hand under Lancer's chin. He brought up his head in a way which stirred a sullen resentment in the younger man. Yet, something told him, resistance would only bring trouble. I'd say Terran stock. Not more than second generation. He was talking to himself more than to Vi. He loosed his hold on the boy's chin. But he still stood there, surveying him from head to foot. Lancer wanted to squirm. But he fought that impulse, and managed to meet the other's gaze when it reached his face again. No. Not the usual port drift. I was right all the way. Now he looked at Vi again, as if the younger man did have a brain, emotions, some call on his interest, as a personality. Want a job? Lancer pressed his hand deeper into the foam seat. What? What kind? He was angry and ashamed at that small, betraying break in his voice. You have scruples? The stranger appeared to think that amusing. Vi reddened but he was also more than a little surprised that the man in the worn space uniform had read hesitancy right. Someone out of the starfall should not be too particular about employment, and he could not tell why he was. Nothing illegal, I assure you. The man crossed to set his refresher cup in the empty slot. I am an out-hunter. Lancer blinked. This had all taken on some of the fantastic aura of a dream. The other was eyeing him impatiently, as if he had expected some reaction. You may inspect my credentials, if you wish. I believe you. Vi found his voice. I happen to need a gear man. But this wasn't happening. Of course, it couldn't happen to him. Vi Lansar, state child, swamper in the starfall. 
thing such as this did not happen, except in a thaline dream, and he wasn't a smoke-eater. It was a kind of dream a man didn't want to wake from, not if he was port-drift. Would you be willing to sign on? Why try to clutch reality to himself, to remain level-headed? A gear-man for an out-hunter. Why, five men out of six would pay a large premium for a chance at such rating. The chill of doubt cut through the first hazy rosiness. A swamper from a port-side dive simply did not become a gear-man for a guild-hunter. Again it was as if the stranger read his thoughts. "'Look here,' he spoke abruptly. "'I had a bad time myself, years ago. You resemble someone to whom I owe a debt. I can't repay him, but I can make the scales a little even this way.' Make the scales even. Vi's fading hope brightened. Then the out-hunter was a follower of the Fatah right. That would explain everything. If you could not repay a good deed to the one you owed, you must balance the eternal scales in another fashion. He relaxed again, a great many of his unasked questions so answered. You will accept? Vi nodded eagerly. Yes, out-hunter. He still could not believe that this was happening. The other pressed the refresher button, and this time he handed Lancer the brimming cup. Drink on the bargain. His words had the ring of command. Lancer drank, gulping down the contents of the cup, and suddenly was aware of being tired. He leaned back against the wall, his eyes closed. Ross Hume took the cup from the lax fingers of the young man. So far, very good. Chance appeared to be playing on his side of the board. It had been chance which had steered him into the starfall just three nights ago when he had been in quest of his impostor, and Vylancer was better than he dared hope to find. The boy had the right coloring. He had been batted around enough to fall for the initial story. He was malleable now, and after Wass Tex worked on him, he would be Rinch Brody, heir to one-third of Kogan Bohr's Wasilitz. Come, he touched Vi on the shoulder. The boy opened his eyes, but his gaze did not focus as he got slowly to his feet. Hume glanced at his planet-time watch. It was still very early. The chance he must run in getting Lancer out of this building was small if they went at once. Guiding the younger man with his light hold above the elbow, he walked him out back to the flitter landing stage. The air-car was waiting. Hume's sense of being a gambler, facing a run of good luck, grew as he shepherded the boy into the flitter, punched a cover destination, and took off. On another street he transferred himself and his charge into a second air-car, set the destination to within a block of the address Wass had given him. Not much later he walked by into a small lobby with a discreet list of names posted in its rack. No occupations attached to those colored streamers, Hume noted. That meant either that their owners represented luxury trades, where a name signified their profession or service, or that they were covers. Perhaps both. Wass' world fringed many different circles intermingled with some quite surprising professions dedicated to the comfort, pleasure, or health of the idle rich, off-world nobility, and the criminal elite. Hume fingered the right call button, knowing that the thumb pattern he had left on Wasp's conference table would have already been relayed as his signal of admission here. A flicker of light winked below the name. The wall to the right shimmered and produced a doorway. Steering Vi to it, Hume nodded to the man waiting there. He was a flat-faced Eucorian of the servant caste, and now he reached out to draw Lancer over the threshold. "'I have him, gentle homo.' His voice was as expressionless as his face. There was another shimmer, and the door disappeared. 
Hume brushed his hand down the outer side of his thigh, wiping flesh against the coarse stuff of the crew uniform. He left the lobby frowning at his own thoughts. Stupid! A swamper from one of the worst rat-holes in the port! Like as not that youngster would have had his brains kicked out in a brawl, or been fried to a crisp when some drunk got wild with a blaster, before the year was out. He'd done him a real kindness, given him a chance at a future less than one man in a billion ever had the power to even dream about. Why, if Vylancer had known what was going to happen to him, he would have been so willing to volunteer that he would have dragged Hume here. There was no reason to have any regrets over the boy. He had never had it so good. Never. There was only one small period of risk for Vi to face. Those days he would have to spend alone on Jumala, between the time Wasp's organization would plant him there, and the coming of Hume's party to discover him. Hume himself would tape every possible aid to cover that period, all the knowledge of a guild out-hunter, added to the information gathered by the survey, would be used to provide Rinch Brody with the training necessary for wilderness survival. Hume was already listing the items to be included as he strode down the street, his tread once more assured. End of chapter 2